We'll do sit down. Let me just adjust this. It seems to have been set for somebody shorter. That's just to make you smile so you don't hate me for not supporting England all the way to the World Cup final. Uh, Well, do take hold of a Bible. Uh, You should have one near you. And if you turn back to uh, this letter of Ephesians in the New Testament, uh, page 1175. And if you're uh, sitting beside Simon Miles, one of our students, do nudge him from time to time. He ran the half marathon this morning, so he'll probably be dozing off uh, at some point. And I'm sure he'd hate to miss the next part. But on the the next few Sunday evenings, for the next few weeks, we're going to think about the the church and answering uh, this question, uh, why bother with it? And tonight, uh, tonight is why bother with the church when it's no longer relevant? Do we really need a church? So one young Christian I heard of said, well, I don't really come to church uh, because it doesn't do anything for me. Uh, No problem with Jesus there, just, just not the church. Age usually inhibits such frankness, but even for some of us who are older, I expect that's the feeling at times. My church doesn't really do anything for me, nothing that I can't get elsewhere. Or we might come at it from the other side, wanting to make church relevant in our society. Is the church relevant? And closer to home, is our church family relevant? For in the creed we may speak of the universal church, but there are local expressions. So how is ours? Is it scratching where there's an itch? Or is it like a visit to an awkward relative? You go because you have to, but you're relieved when you can finally go home. Is church relevant? You can pick up any number of books on the topic. I started one the other day, and the issue of relevance seemed paramount. So the writer states... Uh, we will not recapture the success of the church of ages past by simply replicating their methods or even, to an extent, their message. So how do we make the church relevant? Uh, We're in the age of uh, flat-pack furniture, aren't we? I went to Ikea the other week. I got fed up with sitting at my dining table on plastic chairs, chairs that I've actually borrowed from church, but I've brought them back now. Um, (laughs) But I bought my packs, brought them home, spread the contents on the floor, and it was just wood and screws and one of those little metal tools they always seem to give you, and me. And from hardly anything, I built six dining chairs. I was quite excited. Lumps of wood transformed into something useful. If you pop round, uh, I'll show them to you. I felt like a DIY king. And Paul, who wrote this letter that we're looking at this evening, is excited about a building project. And it's the church. And God's the builder. And we're going to focus just on four verses in chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. But before we get there, let's have a look at some foundations. We'll look over this building project. And it really is a marvellous transformation. Paul shows us the before and after. From flat pack to something useful. It's back there at the start of chapter 2, so uh, leave chapter 3 just for a moment and have a look at the start of chapter 2. What were we before we became Christians? Chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says this, As for you, you were dead in your sins in which you used to live. And the end of verse 3, Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Sin made us God's enemies. 
But then God got to work. And because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. He didn't do it because he had to, or even because we deserved it, verse 8. It's by grace you've been saved, through faith. It's God's DIY project, verse 10. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's quite a transformation, isn't it? Flat pack into something useful. Objects of God's anger transformed into recipients of God's love and mercy. And my new chairs cost £13 each. I'm Scottish after all. (laughs) If you're a Christian, well, this didn't cost you anything. It's free. In God's grace as you trust Jesus. Uh, But Paul wants us to take a closer look because this building project is even more profound The ancient world uh, divided into two groups, Jews and Gentiles, and there was real hostility between the two. Jews, God's people. Uh, God described himself as being close to them. Uh, Gentiles, that's the rest of us. You see what Paul says in chapter 2? You Gentiles, remember verse 12. Remember that you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope and without God in the world. You were as far away from God as you could be. But then God got to work. Verse 13. But now you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Sin alienates us from God and his plans. And to people who were alienated from God and his people, God reconciled them. And because the death of Jesus deals with all sin, it becomes the one thing that can reconcile people to each other and with God. He states it there in verse 15. His purpose was to create one new man. We could say one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile them both to God through the cross. It's God's building project, verse 22. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. It's quite a transformation. It's flat packed to something useful. It's alienated from God, transformed into the church. See, whatever you think about the church, it's not just something God does on Sundays. How did God do it? Oh, my chairs cost me £13. Now, the church cost God all he had. He's not only rich in mercy, he's generous too. The Lord Jesus' life was spent to make this building. Well, that's some of what Paul's talking about when he's referring to the church. In chapter 3, he explains his role. He's like God's specially appointed message boy. He runs everywhere telling people what God has done. You see it in chapter 3 and verse 8. And Paul talks about himself and he says this, Although I'm less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so finally we come to these verses Halfway through chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. How do they help us with the question that we've got tonight? 
And why bother with the church when it's no longer relevant? And no longer relevant to me or, or to society. Why, why bother with the church when it's no longer relevant? And I suppose one thing we need to hear, uh, and you should have it, there might be a little handout if you've not found it already in with your, your notices, your service sheet. I suppose the first thing we need to hear is, well, the church is not about you. Well, the church is about God. Let me say that again. The, the church is not about you. The church is about God. Do you see that in verse 10? God's intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. You see, you and I, the church, are the means by which God does something for himself. Don't you hate it when you're not the centre of things? And do you remember Christmas when you were younger? I think I was about eight. Dad was out. Mum was having a sleep. And I went hunting for presents. And I found them. Loads of them. They were great. They weren't hidden very well. They were just on top of the wardrobe. That's the first place you look, isn't it? I told my friends about them the next day at school. Could hardly contain my excitement. All the things I was going to get. Christmas came. Turns out those presents weren't for me. (laughs) Never occurred to me. That my mum and dad might have someone else in mind. I was meant to be the centre of their world. Isn't it remarkable how Christians can stop being grateful for God's grace and start to think they are the centre of God's universe? Never occurs to you that his plans, although they are a gracious and loving blessing to you, might not just be about you. We can be quite foolish in our thinking. God's plan is through the church to show how incredibly wise he is. To heavenly rulers and authorities, I think by that Paul's talking about the angels. So if you want to know how good my DIY skills are, you can pop round to my house and see my work. You'll see those six chairs, you'll be impressed. I'm sure you'll say things like, David, I expected you were a genius. But I never imagined you had that much skill. With one of those little metal tools you get from Ikea, you've made all this. Incredible. See, God wants his creation to know how wise he is. How does he make that known? Well, he's made something that shows his wisdom, his love, and his skill. It's the church. That's what you're part of if you're a Christian. A people who are alienated from God and each other by sin. People who deserve God's anger because of the way they reject him. What could you do with people like that? Could you find a way to do anything useful with them? Well, God has. Through Jesus. By the forgiveness he's won. And people are reconciled to God. And the most hostile of enemies are reconciled. In God's new humanity. Does it work? In 1994, you might remember the the news at the time that the Hutu government of Rwanda initiated genocide against ethnic Tutsis. And between 800,000 and a million people were killed in 100 days. Tutsi leaders in the university Christian unions, all of them were killed during those days. All the CU leaders wiped out. And when the violence ended and order was restored, CUs started to meet again. 
Can you imagine sitting there as a Tutsi Christian, having seen family members butchered by Hutus, and knowing that friends were rounded up and massacred, perhaps being maimed yourself, narrowly escaping death? I visited some of the students out there. I remember one lad telling me that the night that they came for him and his family, he managed to run off and they set the dogs on him. He was chased out, managed to hide in some bushes, and, and for some reason the dogs missed him and he escaped. Family all killed. Can you imagine sitting there as a Tutsi Christian and the door opens and a Hutu Christian walks in? You can imagine other students in the university watching this. Paul says angels watch this kind of thing. Because if God says Jesus' death can reconcile enemies, it's got to be able to do it here. And those Christian unions were one of the first places where Tutsis welcomed Hutus. Can you imagine the effect? Can you imagine what happens when Hutu and Tutsi Christians begin together to speak to other students about God's power to reconcile people to each other and back to God? The university in Kigali, I'm told, has 3,000 students meeting to study the Bible every Saturday night. No wonder. Wouldn't you want to find out about a God who could do that? So you look at my skill in building a chair with a little metal tool and it's really not that impressive. But you look at God's wisdom in building the church through the cross of the Lord Jesus and powers and authorities are blown away. What does that mean for what we do on Sundays and beyond? What does it mean when we think about the church and its relevance? Well, I think at the very least it should humble us, shouldn't it? So what a gracious God. Church is not just coming along on Sundays, but how could I say church does nothing for me? Don't you remember? The church is God's reconciled people. Outside of this, you're without God and without hope. And I suppose it means we also need to ask ourselves, does how we treat each other on Sundays and beyond suggest that we know anything of God's reconciling power through the Lord Jesus? I don't know if you like detective programs. One of my colleagues and I have a little dispute as to who's the best fictional detective. I don't know who you'd put in that slot. He actually thinks it's Miss Marple. Can you believe that? I'm convinced it's Poirot. But I I love the the art of detection. Good detectives always notice the important facts, don't they? Poirot, and I guess to a lesser extent Miss Marple, um, they spot the things that that we think are irrelevant, don't they? We just don't notice quite how significant the tire mark or the broken nail is, but that's what they're good at. That's why they're detectives. And I suppose that's the next thing that Paul wants to help us see. The church is about God's eternal plan. Do you see it in verse 11? God makes his wisdom known through the church according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now two significant things flow out from that. And they're these. That means the church is central to history and also that the church's message is fixed. Do you see, if the church is God's eternal plan then it doesn't merely happen in history. Now, God has created history. 
to provide a place to unfold his story of the church. He planned it from eternity past. It's what he's doing in history now. And it will continue into eternity future. You sometimes hear people talking about remembering what they were doing at great moments in history. So some of you who are older, where were you in 1963 when the news came through that JFK had been assassinated? Or, or do you remember where you were in 1966, the only time England will ever win the World Cup? Do you remember where you were then? Or maybe those of you who are a bit younger, another great moment in history, where were you the 13th of February 1996 when Take That split up? And do you remember what you were doing? But do you see what Paul is saying here in verse 11? The only really significant question in history is, where were you? with the church it's what it's all about you miss this and you become an irrelevant footnote in history but see this also means that the church's message is fixed because God's eternal plan has been accomplished in Jesus if for the church to be truly the church it has to be the church that the historical Jesus established and that's why Paul can talk about the content of its message That's why Paul can say about Jesus back in chapter 2 and verse 17 that he came and preached peace to you. And that's why Paul can say about himself in chapter 3 and verse 8, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles. And that's why if you're coming along to the Open to Question course, we can look at what authentic Christianity says. We can find out what it's all about because it's been accomplished I can know for definite what the truth of Christianity is about. Joan Lewis, two of the ministry trainees that work with me, uh, the three of us have been watching 24. I don't know if you've come across that series. Uh, the US kind of action-adventure show. In it, Jack Bowers, the head of CTU, the counter-terrorist unit, protecting America from terrorists. Jack is the only man kind of tough enough for the job. It's funny how you kind of watch it for a while and you start to think you're a bit like that. Jack's Jack's the only man tough enough for the job, but the terrorists, if you ever watch the show, they they have such elaborate plans, it's full of so many twists and turns, so Jack needs a whole team of people to constantly give him new information so that his actions will be relevant. See, the information he had in episode 1 is irrelevant for what he has to do in episode 24. See, the church is not like that. As one writer has said, to always be relevant, you have to say things that are eternal. And that's what God has done. And the church is the fixed point in a changing history. And so what does that mean for us at Fullwood? And what is the relevance for Sundays and beyond? Well, if the church is central to history... Well, then it's not an optional extra for the Christian, is it? Those of you who are younger, maybe heading off to university, those coming to the end of university, thinking about what's going to be happening next in your life, what will you give your life to? God's eternal plans? Well, if that's what you're going to give your life to, then it will be worked out in some measure by how you are involved with and encouraged this local expression of that plan of this church family 
See, don't let your life become a historical irrelevance. But it also tells us that we need to be proclaiming the relevant message about God's plan. And we're not to do what the writer I quoted at the beginning said. We're not to change the message of the church to suit our culture. A G.K. Chesterton said, The church is the only thing that saves a man from being the degraded child of his own age. It's the fixed point that stops us being swept along by the tyranny of democracy. Things are not true just because the majority say so. We don't make the message of the church relevant. The true church is always relevant. But because cultures change throughout history and across the world, then we need to work hard at explaining its relevance. We need to listen to our friends and family, don't we? And think about how the message of Jesus speaks to them. Are you doing that? Well, one last thing. And that's this. The church gives us everything we need. I know you don't believe me when I say that. You're already thinking about the coffee that comes after the service and you're saying, where are the pastries? That doesn't seem to give me everything I need. But honestly, it's there in verse 12. Just have a look at it. This is what Paul says. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I don't know if you're like me and that you like visiting other people's houses. Do you like doing that? Basically, I like doing it because I'm a bit nosy. So after a while, if I've been there and if they've not shown me around, I'll say something like, oh, just going to nip to the loo. Is it upstairs? (laughs) And off I go. But on the way, I'll have a little look around. So that's what I'm doing in your house if you think I'm going off to the loo and I've been there. I'll have a little look around. I'll peek through the doors and I'll think, oh, it's messy in there, isn't it? Like the photos there. Oh, underfloor heating in the bathroom. Interesting. Uh, but you've got to, when you're doing that, if you're, if you're kind of familiar in doing this kind of thing like me, you'll know this. You've got to listen out, haven't you? In case they're coming up the stairs. Because the one thing you don't want is to be caught looking around somebody else's house when you're not meant to. What is actually much better is if they just say, have a look around if you want. That's great, isn't it? Off I go. You're, you're free then, aren't you? You're not looking over your shoulder. You don't need to flush the toilet to pretend you've been. <laughs> You're confident, aren't you, as you walk around the house and look at it? Do you see what being in the church means? Being in the church means we have a right approach to God. See, to be in the church means we're in Christ. We're trusting him to make us right with God. And he's really done that. He's done everything that we need. If you're a Christian, if you're part of the church, God loves you. You approach with freedom and confidence. There is no reason to be looking over your shoulder. But you understand the relevance of that. See, if we're in the church, we should have the right approach to life. If we have freedom and confidence before God, well, how far does that freedom and confidence extend? You read one of the Psalms in the Old Testament. Psalm 24 and verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's. And everything in it. See, if you're part of the church, all of life is for you to legitimately enjoy God's way. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 52 weeks of the year, you have freedom and confidence through a relationship with God. It's only if you're not a Christian that you need to be looking over your shoulder. 
You're trespassing in God's world. And unless you sort out that relationship, one day he might ask you to leave. But not for the Christian. Well, what does that mean for Sundays and beyond? Well, it should give us the right expectation for what we do on Sundays. We can't fit everything into an hour and a half, can we? And we don't need to. So this time has priorities, doesn't it? We're, we're convinced that learning about Jesus is central, so we always do that. But the church isn't a meeting we run to to get all we need. Well, the church is a community in a right standing with God in each other where we can enjoy all that he gives us. So you come along on a Sunday and you listen to some of the music and you think, well, it's all right, but it's not really my kind of thing. Oh, you might like other kinds of music. Well, we'll go and enjoy music. That's great. And do you like football? We're not going to play at 6.30 on a Sunday, are we? We don't need to. We can put on tournaments at other times. Come and enjoy football. Do you sometimes wish we prayed more at church family times? Well, we might think about that and change some of the things we do, but we're not limited to Sundays. See, when we meet together, we want to learn about the Lord Jesus. And we want to demonstrate our reconciliation. Different people, not just thinking about what we want, but wanting to love and encourage each other in Jesus' name. But go and enjoy the privileges you have as part of the church. You have freedom and confidence before the God of all the earth. And you see, understanding the church is relevant for knowing how to enjoy all of life. And it's relevant for knowing how we face life's troubles. You might have noticed verse 13. At the last verse we read out, Paul finishes it this way, or gets to this part, where he says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. See, being part of the God's rescued people in a world still spoiled by sin is not all fun and games. But it does start to show us God's plans to restore all things And that will help us not to be discouraged. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, please would you forgive us when we think about the church in terms of me and my need. Instead of you and your wonderful plans. Please would you keep our eyes wide open to all that you've done in Jesus, to praise you for it and to enjoy the many blessings you give us. And please would you help us to be encouraging our fellow Christians. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close our time together just now by singing our final hymn. It's a hymn that encourages